good to be here. I was yeah out of town last week was we were trading pastors with our our last core message series and you know that was man got so much out of that. But it's good to be back and I'm really excited about this next month talking through the book of Colossians and believe God has so much truth that he wants to impart into our lives in a way that's going to help us know God more, know Jesus more, and help us really love him more as we come to know him more, because to know Jesus is to love Jesus. And I, this past couple weeks, if you've been breathing, you've, you've probably been aware that there's been a pretty major political event going on in our nation, which has been the, the process of seeing if we would confirm a new Supreme Court justice, which happened yesterday, and which with Brett, Brett Kavanaugh, Brent Kavanaugh is our new Supreme Court justice, and that, and I, I'm, that process has been a very intense, interesting process, to put it mildly. And as I've kind of been watching that, I've just been struck by how difficult it was to know the character of a person. So here's a person who's getting appointed to the Supreme Court, and there are a lot of people who say, hey, this is who he is. We think he's like the most qualified person to be on our highest court in the land, to represent justice for our society. And there's a whole other group of people who say, no, this guy, we've got to stop this guy. He's dangerous. And then there were some accusations about his, his character and behavior in the past that came out. And that was very complicated because there were accusations, but there wasn't corroboration. And so how do you know what is true? How do you know a person's character? And how do you get to the bottom of knowing what is true about a person, and, and I'm just starting to think about this more and more, like, how do you know what's true, period? Like, there were so many different, different opinions and different viewpoints, and people, they would, I would watch one thing on YouTube, like, oh, it's obviously, you know, this guy's a, a serial molester of women since he was 14, and then other people saying, oh, it's obvious, this is one of the most, like, pristine person of moral character ever. And you're like, how can people think both things are true of the same person? And, you know, it also became, I think, evident thing, I think one thing we could safely say is that this, this person, whether, whether you think he should be confirmed or not, it was evident that he is not perfect. He is a flawed human being. And I, this, there's just a swirl, of this, this, this issue is a swirl of confusion for a lot of people and for our society to try to figure out. And really, as, as I was just, I'm not going to get into my opinion on that any more than what I just said, but the starting point of a lot of times that's what our lives are like and that's what our society is like. There is a swirl of confusion going on about what is true, what is ethical. I mean, our society is facing ethical issues today that have never been faced in human history before. There are crazy ethical issues. I mean, Houston right now, they're trying to decide if they should have, if they should allow brothels with robots as the people you go in to, to do your thing with. It's like, wow, whoever imagined that this would be an ethical issue that we would be, we would be dealing with in our society? There's, there's a swirl of confusion. Yeah, I hope I didn't distract you from the rest of the message here this morning. But that's, this is the world we live in. And... What is true? Who is trustworthy? It's really tough. And the book of Colossians that we're going to be looking at 
is, it was, set, it was a letter that was written by Paul the Apostle in a culture, in a time, that was, you know, some, we think things are unique for us, but really, things haven't changed as much as we think. And when we look at the culture that was going on in the Roman Empire in the first century, there was also a swirl of confusion of what is true, who, who, who should we worship, who should we be loyal to, what's the ethical system, what are our beliefs. There was this, this, this crazy pluralistic sort of world going on and with a very strong government, and it was tough to navigate that. And that was the context in which the church was, was birthed. And so I want to just get, today we're, we're going to kick this off. I'm going to have a little bit of, give a little bit of historical background to this letter. Um, this, that's okay. You've got to do whatever you've got to do to get those flies or whatever you're doing there. Um, there's, this is a letter, like I said, and we're going to give a little historical background. And then, then we're going to talk about chapter one of Colossians, most of chapter one. So Colossians was a book written by Paul the Apostle, probably between the years 60 and 62 AD, when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, because he had been spreading this, this message of Jesus that really was a threat to the establishment. It was a, a threat to the empire, really, because the Christians were saying, there is a king, there's another king who's higher than any other kingdom out there. And so Paul ended up being in prison. Uh, Colo- this, it was written to the Colossians were the people who lived in the city of Colossae. And Colossae was a city in Asia Minor, what's now Turkey. It was about 100 miles east of the city of Ephesus, which was a, a prominent city where Paul had spent uh, more than two years having a, really digging in and really saw a very dynamic church established in Ephesus. And Paul had probably never visited Colossae, but it says in, in Acts 19, telling the story of, of the gospel going out around the, around the known world, around the Roman Empire, it talks about that from that center in Ephesus, the word of the Lord went out through that whole region of what was called Asia, what we would consider now Asia Minor or Turkey. And so that's probably how the gospel went. The people were hearing the message. They were being transformed. They were being radically changed when they encountered God personally through Jesus and faith in him. And they were going and spreading that message all around them. And it said that whole area heard the word of the Lord. And the leader of this, this church in Colossae was a guy named Epaphras. And um, there's a good chance, people, we, we don't know, but he may have spent time in Ephesus and been discipled and trained there and then went on and started and led the church in Colossae, which also became a, a thriving church. So um, Epaphras was now in Rome during the time of this letter being written. We don't know if he was also imprisoned along with Paul or if he was just, just visiting. Um, but he was, he was away. And Paul wrote this letter, and he sent it with a guy named Tychicus to Colossae. And it was probably also delivered with what we now have in the Bible as a letter to, to Philemon, and possibly also the letter of Ephesians as well. We were all sent back at the same time to this region, um, along with a letter to the church in the neighboring town of Laodicea, which there were three towns around Colossae, um, Colossae, Laodicea, and Herapolis. So a little background. So Paul's writing in... The, con- the, the, the cultural situation they're dealing with is there is this, there are beliefs that are spreading through the, the culture and are influencing the church. And the term we give to those beliefs now is called Gnosticism. And a lot of the New Testament was actually written to address Gnosticism. 
But I'm just going to read this description. This is from a guy named Bill Sheeler, who's a Bible teacher. Because it's, it's kind of hard to get your mind wrapped around. But Gnosticism was a philosophy that attempted to explain the universe, the source of evil, the concept of God, and man's pursuit of, of a supreme being and, and spiritual experience. It was the New Age culture of that day that was reserved for those of superior intellect. It took bits and pieces of many religions and blended them into one. For this reason, it was constantly changing to somehow be inclusive of all the religions of the day. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I think, well, Gnosticism, that sounds kind of far out and ancient and odd, but a lot of this seems very similar to the kind of the thought processes and the belief systems that people hold on today, especially the sort of inclusivity of saying, oh, well, we don't want to judge anything, but, oh, we'll just add this and add this and add this and add this and try to, to make it all fit together. Um, so there was this, this idea that there was secret, mysterious knowledge, that it was known only to a select few, um, which appeals to kind of the sense of elitism, that, oh, if, I'm, if I have this secret knowledge, then I'm kind of above everyone else. I remember once, thinking about this, I was, I was on campus here talking to, a, to a, a, an undergraduate student who was studying biology. And we were having an interesting discussion about evolution. And, and what I would say are many of the holes in the evolutionary belief system as, as an end-all, be-all answer to where life came from and how all of human life came. I think there are some pretty big holes that, aren't, that are yet to be answered. And this guy, I mean, he was like 20 years old. He was like a junior at K-State. I was probably... 35 at the time, and said, well, can you just, like, help me understand, like, how, like, it went from here to here? And he said, oh, well, the evidence is, without a doubt, like, there, it's so clear that we clearly understand how that happens, but I couldn't explain it to you because you haven't been educated well enough. And I was just like, well, just, just give me a shot. Just, like, try, you know? Like, try to just get, lay it out in basic terms for me. It's like, oh, I just, you, you, just, you just couldn't handle it. Like, you just aren't educated well enough to follow this. I was like, okay, that's kind of like, that's, there are a lot of things like that, though. They're presenting like, well, the, the experts say. You know, it's, it's settled science. So, you know, the elites have it figured out, so don't, don't you dare question that. So anyway, there's a, there's a similarity there as well. Um, Gnosticism also blended many religions, as we said, into one, uh, very similar to today. There was uh, the idea that all matter, this isn't so, so popular today, although some of we might see similarities in the spirit of this idea, but the idea that all matter is evil. The idea was that, that the world is, a, is, is an evil world, and God, because there's some of the evil in the world, God himself couldn't have created the world. So God created these other spirits or emanations of God, and they made the world. And, but the idea is that like, you, have to, you have to remove yourself from the world through strict discipline, strict observance of religious ritual, strict asceticism. Which again, we may say, like, well, I don't know how, you know, there are people like that, but I don't know how common that is. But it's kind of, you see that in things like, like perfectionism, um, eating disorders. It, it may not be religious in name, but these same, these same uh, ideas are still so prevalent in our culture today. And then 
the, the flip was also true in Gnosticism, that there was an appeal to like, yeah, like just get your act together and be really disciplined and really you know, follow these rituals. But there was also, it seems hard to hold these both at the same time, but the idea of, hey, just forget it. It doesn't really matter. Morality doesn't really matter at all. So just do what you want to do. It doesn't, it doesn't really make a difference because that's, uh, we can't do anything about that anyway. And so that was kind of the cultural context that this book was written in. And you may be saying, like, okay, what does that have to do with us? But it's important that we realize that ideas matter. Ideas have consequences. In fact, when the Bible talks about ideas, um, it's the idea, that, the idea that ideas are not just sort of these mental constructs, but there are spiritual powers. There are spiritual forces that are behind ideas and ideologies that try to take people captive. And there are deceptive ideas that try to pull us away from the truth, that try to pull us away from God. And what we believe matters. And so, in this culture of first century Roman Empire, and in our culture today, what's the answer? Well, when Paul was choosing to write, to speak to the challenges that the people in this culture, that the believers in Jesus in this culture were facing, he didn't really write a primer on, okay, this is why Gnosticism is wrong, and let's, let's break it down. But what he did is he wrote a letter that highlighted who Jesus is. He highlighted the person of Jesus Christ. And there's a reason for that. Because ultimately, the most important question we have to answer is what do we believe about Jesus? At the end of our life, when we stand before God, that's really the question that our life will be judged on. The ultimate question is, what did we do with Jesus? How did we view Jesus? That God God sent His Son into the world to reveal Himself to us and to show us the truth and to bring us a way of salvation. And that's the ultimate question is, did we receive Him? And how did we receive Him? Who did we believe Him to be? And so... Paul's answer is, hey, you don't have to break everything down and like, be a philosophy major to make it. But if you can focus in on Jesus, if you can have a revelation of who He is and come to know Him personally and be united with Him and base your life and your lifestyle on Him, you're going to make it. You're going to make it in this world of confusion. And you're not only going to make it, but you're going to bring the truth into the world further. Because Jesus is the preeminent one. He's the one that brings the answer and the truth to all of life. And so, we're going to go ahead and, and read here from most of the first chapter of, of Colossians. And, but my hope, though, is, is this morning and, and this month, that as we, as we read through this, the Word of God, that it wouldn't just be some ideas, but that God would speak to us and we would have a revelation of Him, a greater revelation of who He is, and come to know Him more in a personal way, and, and really have our, our understanding of, of Jesus magnified, that our, our hearts would grow in worship and appreciation of Him, as well as our understanding. So I want to just pr- ask us to just pray together. So before we, before we read this, would you bow your head with me, and let's, let's, let's just ask God to help us. Lord, thank You for giving us Your Word. Thank you for giving us your truth. 
Thank you for coming into our world. And Father, I ask that you would bring a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Yeah. Lord, that we would see you not as, as a faded idea or something familiar, but as the preeminent one who our hearts are drawn to. And we yearn to know more and more. Lord, will you help us to know you in a greater level? Lord, help us to know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm just going to start in verse 1. We're going to read the first 23 verses of, of this chapter. And again, I, this, this was a letter. It was meant to be read publicly. That's how the, the early Christians got this. They got it as a letter. It was read to groups of people as they met from house to house and wherever they gathered. And then they took it and they studied it and they applied it. And so that's really what we're going to do. Um, so, starting in, starting in verse 1, but, but as we read, just, man, well, let's have a heart to say, God, would you open your word to us? Would you open your word to help me um, know you more? Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, Grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Now there it is. that It's about our faith in Christ Jesus. That's what ultimately matters, is our faith in Him. And then from that, our love towards Him and others. The faith and love, verse 5, that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the Gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the Gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's, God's truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So Paul is saying here, hey, this, this gospel, this message of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it's come to you. And you believed it. And, and hearing that message and having an understanding of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, that changed your lives. And that message is, is growing. And that's, you heard it from this guy Epaphras, who's now with me in Rome. And I just, just think about that, how you know, those of us who know Jesus, we, I bet all of us could say, you know what? That's how it happened for me too. I wasn't just out in a, in a field and I realized I, I, the, the whole story of Jesus coming to the earth and dying on the cross for my sins and rising from the, den, from the, from the dead came to my mind all by myself. No. I mean, yes, out in nature we see evidence of God, but someone has to come to us with the message. Someone has to bring us the message of who Jesus is. And that's how this gospel spreads. It's through one person hearing it and being changed, and then taking that and passing it on to another people. Another people, another person, another people. In verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. 
We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So even though you've, you've heard it, you have an understanding of who God is, Paul's saying, hey, but there's more. There's more of who God is. There's always more of God than what we currently know. And my prayer for you is that you would continue to be hungry and to, to know Him more and to be drawn to experience Him and walk with Him more and more. Verse 10, why? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. So when we hear this message, it it changes us. It results in us living a life worthy of the Lord. It results in us being strengthened in our character, being strengthened in our endurance, God working something inside of us. The The more we understand who Jesus is, the more our character is changed. And, um, and, and verse 13 is, For he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And it goes on. This next part is really just, high, it's just kind of like a big, big song or a big exposition on who Jesus is. So let's look at that. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. And that's, that's incredible. That the God who created the universe, the God who fills the universe, the God who is spirit, the God who we, we couldn't look at because He's spirit, and also because He's so holy. But He chose to become a person, to take on a body, and live a life, and live amongst us. And so all the questions about who is God? What's he like? What's his character like? Is he angry? Is he ticked off? Is he mad at me? Is he just coming to judge me? Is he, is he just say, hey, everything's okay, it doesn't really matter what you do? All those questions are answered in the person of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. God became flesh. We can see God as we see Jesus who who came to earth. The firstborn over all creation. He's he's the first. And so, you know, Paul is saying to the in this this culture of Gnosticism and our culture of pluralism that says, Hey, everything's everything's okay. Just whatever you believe, it's your truth. Paul is saying, No, that's that's not actually true. There is one God. And God is Jesus. And so whatever is consistent with Jesus, that's the character of God. But whatever is not consistent with Jesus, that's not the character of God. He's the firstborn. He's above all those other belief systems. He's he's above all those other ideologies. You can't just incorporate everything together. But there is one who is over all and above all. In verse 16 it says, For in him all things were created. In him, in Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been been created through him and for him. Why was everything created? 
Well, it's through Him, and it's for Him. The reason we're here, the reason the earth is here, the reason everything is here, is it's, it shows us what God is like, and it's also to be used for His glory. We're here through Him, we're here for Him. Verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the one who holds all things together. He's the one who holds our bodies together. He's the one who holds this music stand together. He's the one who holds culture and society together. It's in Him. He's the one who holds families together. He's the one who holds friendships together. He's the one who holds us together in the stresses of life and we're overwhelmed with managing our jobs and our families and school and all this stuff. He's the one who holds all things together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood, through his blood shed on the cross. And now just think about that for a minute. Jesus being the image of the invisible God. He shows us what God is like. We can think about that in terms of, okay, Jesus was powerful. He walked around, he did incredible miracles, he healed the sick, he turned water into wine, he turned he multiplied bread, a few loaves of bread and some fish to feed 5,000 people. Like, he has authority over matter. He has authority over the weather. He has all authority. He has all power. But Jesus shows us God's nature not only in his power, but also in his love, in his, in his kindness. And think about that in, like, our culture and the, the division and the you know, look at this Supreme Court nomination battle. It's like, most people think that there is half the culture that is messed up and really missing it on this issue. And they really need to get their, they just need to get the truth hitting them upside the head so they can, like, snap out of that craziness. Or they need to just, I, who knows what, all sorts of sinister thoughts we have towards people that are, that are different, than, different than us. So think about in our own relationships. Think about the people that, that hurt you. Think about the people that mistreat you. Think about the, the people that don't keep their promises or are unfaithful or just are really obnoxious to live with and all the difficult stuff with people. What's God's approach to people like that? Which, by the way, is people like you and me. Because that's what we're all like. God's answer was, he became a man and took the punishment that we deserved for our sin to reconcile us to God. He didn't want to give us what we deserved, but he wanted to give us his mercy to transform us. That's the nature of God. That's who he is. That he comes to us in our failures, in our falling short, and all that, and says, hey, I'm... I'm, I'm not going to hold that against you, but I'm going to take the price. This, the pay the price you deserve to pay and t- to reconcile 
my relationship with you. And I'm in the process of reconciling the whole world to myself. Not just good people. Not just people that I like or that I deserve, that I should like because they deserve it, but sinners. A sinful world. That's what God does. In verse 21, Paul spells, spells this out a little more. He says, Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Remember, that's what you were like. You were a sinner. And because of that, you were alienated from God. You were separated from God. Not because God was so unjust, but because you were a sinner. You were evil. But now, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical death, physical body, through death, to present you holy in His sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the Gospel. Now this is the idea. One of the ideas of the, the Gnostics was they would, they would take, you know, add everything. And so it was like, well, we believe, you know, that you can have this philosophy and, oh, Jesus, he was a good man, and so let's add Jesus to the mix. And the Christians would easily fall into the same trap that we often fall into of like, okay, yes, I, I believe in Jesus for my salvation, but now I'm going to try to live my life by being disciplined also. Or by being a good person, too. Or by being successful. And also, maybe, you know, so it's Jesus plus religion. Or, man, I need, I need to be successful in life, so it's Jesus plus success. Or Jesus plus money. And one of the deceptions is that life and salvation and what we're looking for in life is Christ plus something. But the message of the Gospel is it's Christ plus nothing. It's Christ alone. Christ plus nothing is our hope. Christ plus nothing is truth. Christ plus nothing is freedom. Christ plus nothing is, is purpose. Wow, isn't that freeing? Ah, oh, because, man, because it's so easily. We're like the Colossians. We're like adding all this other stuff. Like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but, you know, man, I, I have to get... I have to get at least a 3.5 or else, man, you know, then I'm a failure or whatever it is. You know, I have to, man, I have to have this level of success. It's, we so easily make it Christ plus something. But it's Christ plus nothing. And then out of that, we live our life for Him and from Him. And that's the life God's called us to. And so that's why Paul ends it. He says, only continue in your faith. In verse 23. If you continue in your faith, man, it's how, what does Jesus have to do with us? It's sometimes we fall into the fallacy of thinking, oh, well, I pray to Jesus to get saved to go to heaven when I die. So Jesus is, is for eternity, but he's not for right now. But no, it's Christ is my all for this life and for eternity. He's my freedom. He's fulfillment. He's everything I need. It's Christ is it. He's all. And so Christ plus nothing. So only continue in your faith. Only hold on to trusting Him. Only live by faith in Him. So, man, I, I, I believe God is just inviting us to, to come to know Him more. And this may look different for, for each one of us. You know, some of us are here who have never come to a place of placing our trust in Jesus and saying, you know, I, I, looked, I know you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Savior of the world. And I trust you to be my Savior. 
and the leader of my life. And that's the step God is inviting you to take. He's saying, hey, it's Christ. Put your trust in him to be your savior, to take away your sin, to be your hope, to be your life. Many, many of us, we just, all of us really, we need, God wants to give us a bigger understanding of who Jesus is. Like our, our view of Jesus is just too small. Like however we see him, it's not as big as he is. And he's inviting us to say, hey, I'm, I'm bigger. I got more. What I've done on the cross is bigger. My love for you is bigger. Trust me. Look to me. It's bigger. And, and I, I would encourage you this week is to not as like a do this religious thing so that you can make God like you, but as an exercise of saying, God, I want to know you more. And meditate on this, this first chapter of Colossians. And in, our, in your bulletin, we have a weekly reading with some other chapters that just talk about who Jesus is, that talk about what he did. If you're not doing something else and reading the Bible, this would be a great way to, to really just, God, help me to see who you are and expand my heart to know you more. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you've fallen for the lie that I fall for all so often, that it's Christ plus something else. Maybe this morning you're realizing, oh, yeah, it's, for me it's Christ plus this. I've been acting as if it's Christ plus this. But today I want to choose to cut off that plus and just Christ alone. Christ plus nothing. That doesn't mean I'm not going to, you know, doesn't mean I don't have to work or go to school or have relationships or any of those things, but I'm not looking to those things for my identity. I'm not looking to those things for my joy. I'm looking to Christ alone. It's Christ plus nothing. And, you know, I just really believe this is, what we're talking about today, it can seem so like, okay, what do you do with that? Just believe more about Jesus. But that's really what it all comes down to, is believe more about Jesus. And as we do that, God brings us to know him more and into the life he has for us. And so, worship team, will you go ahead and come on up? We're going to... we're going to give us, we're going to take some time here just to continue to have our hearts be expanded to, to see God more. Um, before we do that, I just want to ask, anybody got a question about any of this? Or a challenge? Like, what makes this, what makes this is there a part of this that you're like, man, that's kind of hard. I don't know how to do that. Any questions or challenges? Yeah, you like? I just think that I feel like the question we need to each ask ourselves. I know, I feel like the spirit is asking my heart is like, and maybe this week is like, what am I putting my hope in? Mm-hmm. Because if you think about all the things we put our hope in, usually we can see the failure of our dependence, you know? And I I love that scripture that says, um, when it says, um, continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, maybe we haven't ever been, had our hope in Christ, but we're supposed to have it and not be moved. I think that's Mm -hmm. a hard challenge, but it's something really. Yeah, so good. Did you all hear that? Yeah, so good. Thank you, Elaine. What is asking, what's my hope in? Being really real about that. And sometimes a way that I know, I can be like, oh, I'm not really trusting in this. But then it gets threatened. 
Like, you know, oh, I'm not really, like, trusting in money. And then it's like, oh, I don't have enough this month. It's like, what am I trusting in right now? Am I, is, this, is this real? Like, am I able to look to Jesus, to look to God as my hope in the place of lack? Or if that was taken away, how would I, how would I be? I think that's one of the challenges as Americans is we have so much. Like, we don't realize what we're trusting in, that we're putting our hope in. So, yeah. Thanks, Elaine. So good. Anybody else? Got anything? How did you respond to that two-year-old? <laughs> How did I respond to that 20-year-old? Uh, I don't remember, Matt. Um. How do you wish you would have responded? How would I wish I would have responded to him? Um... I think, I think one thing I said to him was, if it's really true, you should be able to simplify it enough to spell it out for somebody. And how can you expect me to trust you if you, just taking your word on it without you showing me the actual evidence? So I think, <coughs> yeah, that's what I said. I remember saying that to him. Um, yeah. Good. Anybody else? All right, let's go ahead and stand up and really rejoice in who Jesus is. We're going to just praise him. And there's something about declaring who he is that you don't have to. I've got one friend who, he was like the world's biggest atheist, uh, not the world's biggest atheist, but one of those people with a lot of intellectual objections to God. And until his brother's life got transformed, and he saw his brother's life changed, and then his brother preached the gospel to him, and they were sitting around there by their parents' pool, and he said, you know what? You haven't answered any of my questions, but they don't matter anymore, because I'm, I'm hearing an answer that's above all of that. And really, that's what God wants to do. As we see who he is, as he's elevated above our lives, like, it is the answer to everything else. So let's, let's praise him. Let's, let's look to him this morning.